I want to encourage you to take your Bibles now and turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 57 through 80 this morning. It was good last week to preach at Arlington Baptist Church there in Arlington, Virginia, and hopefully, as many of you have already given testimony, you enjoyed having Mike Law here preaching last week. It was a good exchange. I think both congregations were blessed and encouraged, and God was glorified. It's good to be back this morning looking at the Gospel of Luke with you. Gospel of Luke chapter 1, I will begin reading in verse 57. These are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. We read, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had, grown, had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We ask that by your spirit now that you would give us understanding of it, that you would transform our lives by it. We commit this time to you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we know that this time of year often marks a distinct change in our music playlist, at least for most of us. A few of you Scrooges are still out there that don't like Christmas music. But nonetheless, most of us spend a good amount of our time this season listening to Christmas music. And one of, I've got a lot of favorite Christmas songs, and one of my favorite Christmas carols is the song, Oh Holy Night. It's a song of hope. And embedded within that first verse is this phrase, this, this, this sentence, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new glorious morn. And you think about that particular phrase, the weary world rejoices. Think about that, just those two words, weary world. And certainly it's such a fitting description of a sin-cursed and broken world, isn't it? 
A lot of times we can feel the weight and the weariness of this world, the the brokenness, the difficulty, the, the sin that so characterizes this age. And because we live in a weary world, we know that we live in a world that longs for mercy. We want help. We want relief from that weariness, don't we? We want God to to do something to release us from the bondage in which we know all too well. Even those who are not believers sense that something is not right. They, They sense and they feel the weariness of this world. And it leads us to long for some type of mercy. We know that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they knew this weariness quite well and they were experiencing directly the act of God's mercy in their own life. In an overwhelming sense, they knew God's mercy and they knew that this new glorious morn that that song speaks of had indeed begun to dawn. One fact remains that when you read the Bible from beginning to end, we read from Genesis to Revelation and we come quickly to understand that God is indeed a God of mercy, seeking to bring hope to the weariness of this broken world. And no one knew that more personally than this elderly couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were believers in the mercy of God. And it's their story that I want us to look at this morning as we think and reflect on God's mercy and what he has for us and this promise and arrival of the coming Messiah, the the greatest demonstration of mercy this world has and will ever know. I want us to look at that this morning in light of, specifically in the context of Elizabeth and Zechariah's and John the Baptist's life experience as they encounter the mercy of God and point us to the mercy of God in this birth announcement of John. I want us to consider several aspects of God's mercy in that light this morning as we consider this family and what they experienced and what they pointed us to, specifically as we see the birth of John and then Zechariah's song announcing the glory that is due to God because of his mercy. I want us to consider three aspects of God's mercy this morning, beginning with this, God's mercy revealed. God's mercy revealed. We see that in verses 57 through 63. When we look at these verses, we, we get an insider's look at John the Baptist's arrival. Obviously, it had been prophesied. The angel came and told John and Elizabeth that they were going to have a child, that he was going to be the forerunner of the coming Messiah. It's been prophesied in the Old Testament. Now that has been fulfilled. And we get an insider's look. And verse 57 summarizes it quite well, doesn't it? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Prophecy fulfilled. Straightforward, right? Son had arrived. And we see in verse 58, the response to that. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Rejoice because God was a God of mercy, showing mercy to Elizabeth. These two verses give us a quick summary of John's arrival, but we know there's so much more here. Not only do we see the promise made to Elizabeth being fulfilled, we also see that she is an object of God's mercy. It's evident here in these two verses. And we keep reading. God's mercy had been revealed initially in the form of a promise and now was revealed in the arrival of John. But as we keep reading through verses 59 through 63, we see that this family 
being faithful saints. Uh, knew their Old Testament well, and they did what believers in that day would do. They take their child on the eighth day to have him circumcised, and it's on that same day that he would receive his name. And it was, in this culture, customary for children to be named after relatives, right? So you've got junior and first, second, third, and all of those kinds of things going on. And so it was, it was speculated that this child would simply be named after his father, and he would be named Zechariah, but that is not the case. Um, Elizabeth speaks up in verse 60. No, she says, he shall be called John. And that kind of takes people by surprise. And they were like, well, none of your relatives is called by that name. John, just such a simple name, right? John's a good name. But yet we see it's a special name for a special child because he had a special role. And so they were confused by this. And so they were like, well, let's Let's ask Zechariah. He can't speak, but let's ask him anyway. And so they ask him. He had been struck mute because of his unbelief earlier. And now they ask Zechariah, well, what shall we call him? And notice he says this. He says, his name is John. He writes it out on a tablet for them. The way Zechariah confirms this is important. I want you to notice what Zechariah doesn't say and what he does say. He doesn't say his name shall be John. He says his name is John. He had been named John ever since the angel told him that's exactly what his name would be. And so this is very instructive because even though subtle, it's an important truth for us to realize this morning. He confirms the fact that this child had a name since the angel's announcement. And this is important because it shows us that Zechariah had learned a very important lesson about trusting the Lord. After initially doubting God and being struck mute, he now demonstrates his belief in God's word to him. I think this whole scene reminds us that God's word is a word that must be trusted. Zechariah learned that the hard way, but he had learned the lesson, a very important lesson, that God can and must be trusted. I think it's certainly a good lesson for us here, isn't it? When God speaks, we should listen. When God speaks, we should listen, we should believe, we should trust. And Zechariah shows us that we are also never beyond growing in our faith. I think that's a good lesson for us, especially those of us who may have been believers for a long time. And we think about trusting God and taking God at his word, we think, well, that's for new Christians. They kind of need to, to learn to trust God. Well, this is Zechariah. This is, a, this is a brother who had known the Lord a long time. He had... Uh, quite a rich spiritual heritage, a lifelong faith, and yet he still needed to trust and to grow in the Lord. His experience teaches us that even faithful, lifelong believers need to learn to walk in deeper trust of God and his word. Even faithful, lifelong believers need to learn, and sometimes we learn this the hard way, to walk in a deeper trust of God and his word. God's mercy had been revealed through promise. God's mercy had now been revealed through the delivery of John, the arrival of John. And Zechariah struggled with the promise. Now he took God at his word because he saw the promise fulfilled and he had learned this very important lesson about taking God at his word. Friends, I just, I just ask us a simple question this morning. Are you putting yourself are you putting yourself in a position to regularly learn and trust God's word? 
Are you putting yourself in a position to do that? Zechariah had to learn through affliction. Remember, he was a faithful follower. He was a faithful believer, and he had to learn through affliction. But God will even use affliction to teach and to instruct and to grow his people. God, God had revealed himself in his mercy. He revealed himself in his mercy to Elizabeth and Zechariah, and he's revealed himself in his mercy to us today. And we would do well to take him at his word and to trust him. Listen, we even have one up on Zechariah. We do. He had been given the promise through an angel, and now he had seen John delivered. We've got the entire scripture now. We've got the complete revelation of God that he's given us. We have the whole story from beginning to end. The promise is made, the promise is kept, and the promise of Jesus coming again. We've got a better spot than Zechariah had, and yet we often find ourselves lacking in trust, don't we? God's mercy has been revealed to us, and yet we oftentimes find ourselves in the very same shoes that Zechariah, even after many years of faith, wondering how we could trust the Lord when he has spoken so clearly. God's mercy had been revealed. But the second thing that we see about God's mercy is that we see most clearly in verses 64 through 75, God's mercy celebrated, really through the rest of the song in verse 79. God's mercy is celebrated. You know, the people around the relatives and the neighbors. We know that they're rejoicing here. They wondered, they marveled, they, they were amazed at all that God was doing. They were awestruck in a sense. But not only were they amazed, so was Zechariah. As soon as he wrote down the child's name, that his name is John, his tongue was loose. He, he began to speak again. After nine months of silence, being unable to speak, he's now able to speak again. And the very first thing he does is he praises God. And it's Zechariah's song of praise that takes center stage here. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to bless the Lord for a variety of different reasons in light of the mercy of God that God had displayed in he and Elizabeth's life, but even more than that. I want you to notice several things that Zechariah praises, God's, praises God for his mercy for. Look at these with me. First of all, he praises God for a very specific mercy. Back up in verse 64, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. He's praising God at this moment. He's giving God praise for all that he has done. Zechariah gets that he and Elizabeth were sharing in something unique and special. Despite his own unbelief, God is giving them a son just like he promised. And after being struck mute, he's able to speak again just as God said he would. And so, yes, Elizabeth and Zechariah are rejoicing in God's kind favor to them. God's mercy given specifically to them. It's a specific mercy that we see back up in verse 58. The neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, to Elizabeth at that point, and they rejoiced with her. And now Zechariah, by extension and by direct experience of his own life, is experiencing the mercy of God. We know that while they experienced God's kind favor in a very specific way, they also knew something more was in view here. This was a mercy that was going to result in the birth of a son, and this son would fulfill a very special role leading to the arrival, preparing the way of the Lord. Verse 66, the people were saying all these, they were amazed, and they said, what then will this child be? 
The hand of the Lord was with them. And then verse 76, 10 verses later, we see in the song that Zechariah actually says what he will be. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's the last prophet in this great lineage of prophets in the Old Testament, even though we're in the New Testament, but he's this prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Friends, this is just a reminder that when God extends his mercy, he extends his mercy in specific ways for specific purposes for his glory. While we aren't playing a unique role in salvation history like John would have been, by being part of the family that ushers in the Messiah into the world uh, at that particular time, we too should be encouraged by this. God's mercy is given specifically for specific purposes. All of us who follow Jesus have been recipients of such mercy. We have been recipients of the mercies of God, and yet we see how the mercies of God, new every day, continue to sustain in uniquely applied ways to each and every one of our lives. Brothers and sisters, do you take time? Do you take time to recount the mercies of God in your life? Do you take time on a daily basis to recount Day after day after day, the mercies of God given to you daily. Obviously, the great mercy of God that's given to us in Christ, but with that comes endless mercies, new every day. Do you take time to recount and acknowledge the mercies of God in your life? Do you share that with others? Do you seek to encourage other believers, particularly, maybe even unbelievers, as God has shown mercy to you, do you give him glory and credit by testifying to his mercy to others? And friends, are you seeking to encourage others in the mercies that they have received from the Lord? I mean, you see that that's what happens here in this text. And back in verse 58, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. Are we rejoicing with others when they are recipients of God's mercy? Do we see it in our lives? Do we see it in others' lives? Are we giving God credit for that? Are we pointing to the mercy of God in our lives and others' lives? Are we seeking to encourage fellow believers as we see the mercies of God applied to them? Are we seeking to encourage them in those wonderful gifts of God's grace? We see that God's mercy is a specific mercy, but also, number two, it's a saving mercy. Zechariah's praise is ultimately rooted in this greater work that God would do just beyond his own, certainly beyond his own family. And he begins his song in verse 68 by reflecting upon this, this greater mercy that God would do. The promised Messiah, you see that beginning in verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And on and on we go. This saving mercy. Notice he he speaks in prophetic language here how he's visited and redeemed his people. The Messiah has not yet come, but yet again he's speaking in past tense to talk about the future work of this coming one, that he has visited and redeemed his people. This prophetic message of what would ultimately be accomplished through the Savior. 
that he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. This is language, this horn of salvation, language that's drawn from Old Testament imagery. Picturing an ox with horns that's able to decisively defeat enemies. It's a symbol of power and strength. A powerful royal figure would be in view here. This language, horn of salvation. And so we know that this powerful figure would come, verse 69, from the house of David, just as it was promised, just as the prophets foretold, verse 70. But why would he come? Why would this powerful figure, this this, this one of power and strength promised from the house of David, why would he come? Why did he have to come? Look at verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. There is a rescue in view here. And certainly it would have immediate ramifications politically for God's people, but it would ultimately have spiritual ramifications as we are saved not only from the immediate threat, but from eternal threat, from our greatest enemy. God's salvation is in view here. The Messiah would come and rescue the people from the grip of the enemy. And as verse 72 says, he's going to do it as a demonstration of his mercy. Look at verse 72. He's, he's saving us from the enemies to show the mercy promised. The coming of the Messiah would be a display of mercy. It would be God showing off his mercy by sending his son. Now we know that God's salvation is indeed an act of mercy. The fact that he pardons sinners, that he rescues us from destruction. But not only is it an act of mercy, we see as verse 72 says, it's a demonstration to show his mercy. It's a display of his saving mercy. God's act of salvation is merciful. We know that the Bible is one unified story of mercy from beginning to end. The Bible is one unified story of God's mercy to a fallen sinful world. From Genesis to Revelation, we are given a narrative of God's unrelenting resolve to extend his mercy to his people. The Bible is about God promising and God coming through Jesus Christ in fulfillment of that promise to rescue sinners by his mercy. Friends, indeed, this news is still relevant today. It's a mercy that is available to you. This mercy that we speak of, this mercy that was on display, this mercy that Zechariah declared here in Luke chapter one is a mercy that is still available today. It's, it's a mercy that's been extended to folks like you generation after generation after generation. Friend, if you're here today and you don't consider yourself a Christian, there is both bad news and good news for you. The bad news is that all of us, due to our sin, we're separated from God. We can't stand before the holy creator of the universe and be accepted on our own. We, we are sinners in that, in that way. And we, we, we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We're guilty before God and God would be both right and just to judge us. Yet in his mercy, he has provided all we need to be rescued. He sends his son into the world to be the horn of salvation, to be the great rescuer of sinners, to be the display and demonstration of mercy, that all who would look to him and trust in him and repent of their sins and put their hope and faith in him, they would be delivered and rescued and saved, forgiven of their sins once and for all. Friend, that is good news 
The bad news is that we stand guilty before God, but the good news is that God has given us grace. He has extended mercy by sending his son that we may be rescued and put in the right before God. And friend, if you've not put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, our plea to you today would simply be to do just that. To quit looking to the ways of this world, quit looking to yourself, quit looking to find hope in things here in this life and put your hope in the mercy of God applied to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Great Puritan Richard Sibb said, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. You may find yourself today thinking, I am such a great sinner. I'm such a great sinner. How could God save a person like me? Because he is full of mercy. That is why. He is full of mercy. It is a saving mercy. But number three, it is a sanctifying mercy. Look at verses 74 and 75. We see that God extends his mercy in a saving way. Why? That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah was a man who knew what God's goal and purpose was in bringing this deliverance. It wasn't a deliverance simply to give people freedom from oppression. That would happen, oppression from real enemies, like military enemies, but also oppression from sin and bondage to, 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 to our sin. He would bring a deliverance from that. But it was also that we might walk as his people. Holiness and righteousness. Notice the goal was to rescue a people from sinful bondage that this very people would live in worshipful obedience to him. That these, that these people would, would walk in worshipful obedience, one without fear. That they would have a fearless sense of obedience to the Lord. They would serve him fearlessly without threats of what could happen to them. They would serve him in holiness and righteousness. They would have a new attitude, given a new heart, a new attitude, a new disposition that would seek to obey and be conformed to the standards in which God calls us to live. They would do so before him with the realization that our obedience is done before God because he is omnipresent, he is always present, and that our obedience is done to him in view of him. It's not as if God is far off somewhere and he's, and he's gonna play like a video later on to kind of get him up to speed on what, how we actually lived out our lives. No, he's present now. And our obedience to him now is in view of him. It's before him. And notice what the text goes on to say. It says, all our days. This is a, a, a call to continual obedience. This idea of a continuing perseverance. Listen, God saves a people and he sanctifies a people. He saves us and sets, up, sets us apart for his own purposes that we might reflect his very character. Freedom from our enemies is certainly a great blessing. But again, we aren't saved solely for freedom. We are saved that we might freely worship and obey the Lord. His salvation reorients us. Our affections, our thoughts, our actions changed and transformed by the grace and mercy of God. Friends, I would just ask you today, is God's mercy evident in your life by how you live your life? 
Are you striving after this holiness and righteousness that we are saved to? We're saved from sin and we're saved to obey the Lord in holiness and righteousness. Is that evident? Are you living out a life that is reflective of this kind of person? Are you striving after that holiness? Is God's mercy evident in your life? It's a sanctifying mercy. It transforms us beautifully. But not only do we see this mercy celebrated, we see that it is also number three, a mercy that is proclaimed. And that is found in verses 76 through 80. And beginning in verse 76, Zechariah turns his attention in this song to his child and the future ministry this child would have. John was going to be a prophet, the prophet of the Most High. He would be a preacher and he would prepare the way of the Lord. He was a special child for a special task. And as he would go to prepare the way of the Lord, he would be announcing the coming of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice some specifics that Zechariah identifies concerning what John would proclaim. First of all, he acknowledges, one, that it would be a mercy proclaimed that gives knowledge, verse 77. It was a mercy that would give knowledge. So he's going to prepare the ways of the Lord, verse 76. Why? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. It's very effectual, very specific salvation that is coming. John's ministry was to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. His basic task was to preach the gospel, to preach salvation, a message that would center on the forgiveness of sins. The things that salvation would achieve and accomplish in the coming of Christ, when he would come and live a righteous life and yet die on a cross, he would come to die to bear the burden, the punishment of sin so that our sin could be forgiven. Why such a focus? Why must sin be forgiven? Why is sin such a big problem for us? Well, we know that God is holy and sin is an offense against him. It's his character, he is holy and righteous and sin is offensive to him. Thus, he has the absolute right to punish and judge sin for what it is and yet we understand that God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion. And he extends his tender mercy, verse 78, to us through this rescue that his son would accomplish so that we would be rescued from God's righteous judgment against sin so that our sins would be forgiven so that we could be in a right standing. So Jesus comes to bear the punishment we deserve and through his finished work of dying on a cross and being raised from the dead, he secures and actually accomplishes our forgiveness. Your your forgiveness is not merely a potential reality. It's an actual accomplishment. Jesus paid it all on the cross for your sin. What a glorious truth. In our rebellion against God, we stand guilty as sinners, but because of his tender mercy. It's such a lovely phrase, isn't it? Because of his tender mercy. We are saved. Friend, your sin might surprise you at times, but it never surprises God. And he still is glad to extend his tender mercy towards sinners. It's a mercy that gives knowledge. John's role would be to proclaim this truth, to make known this reality that the forgiveness of sins is available. Friends, it's still true today. 
Forgiveness of sins is available to you. Take hold of that. I love the old song, to, to God be the glory. And in that one, one phrase, oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God. Listen, the vilest offender who truly believes. The moment from Jesus, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Friends, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the redemption, the mercy of God are for the vilest offenders. You may find yourself today feeling that you're a vile offender of a holy God. But listen, friends, God is full of tender mercy towards such people. It's a mercy that gives knowledge. Number two, it's a mercy that gives light, verses 78 and 79. Again, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us, or rising sun shall visit us from on high. This was previous mention of this visitation back in verses 68 and 69 in reference to the horn of salvation. And now there will be a visitation of the rising sun. Not quite the same as the house of the rising sun down in New Orleans. That's been the ruin of many a poor girl and boy. No, in fact, this rising sun would not be the ruin of many, but would be the hope of many. It would be the hope when he comes, he will give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. This is familiar language, isn't it? Familiar language we see in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The mention of darkness gets right to the core of the dilemma that we all face. We are a people who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we live in a world that continues to face this reality, don't we? People are oppressed. People are in bondage to sin and in need of rescue. And the good news is that God's light has shone forth, has gone forth in his great mercy. He has sent his son, the light of the world, to save us from the dark, horrible reality in the shadow of death. Jesus would come in John chapter 8, verse 12 and say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a mercy that gives light. And number three, it's a mercy that gives peace. Verse 79, he goes on to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Friends, our greatest need is to be at peace with God. We are born at odds with him. We live in a world that stands at odds with God and our greatest need is to be made right with him. God is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of peace and he's calling people onto the way of peace, to be in a right standing with God. The good news Zechariah celebrates is not only the forgiveness of our sins, but the fact that we, will fate, that we will no longer be in open hostility against God. We are now drawn into his family, adopted as his sons and daughters. Christians, this is the very beautiful reality of our lives. We are on the way of peace. Zechariah is rejoicing in God's mercy, a mercy that leads us to having peace with God. Friends, there's a lot that we can talk about. Church, there's a lot that we can be discussing today. There's a lot that we can tweet. There's a lot that we can post. There's a lot that we can fill our time with. But listen, are we regularly speaking? Are we regularly speaking and pointing people to this way of peace? We prayed this morning during our prayer time together, and I hope that you'll come next week for a time of prayer. We, we get such rare opportunities to spend corporate 
times of prayer together. So please come next Sunday at nine o'clock so we can be praying with each other. One of the things that we prayed for this morning is that our members would be more faithful and diligent to be proclaiming the gospel. May God answer that prayer. May God answer that prayer that we would be a people who pursue others, helping them see that there is a way to having peace with God. Friends, I know that John had a very unique role in that. He came to prepare the way for the Lord, to give knowledge, to point to light, to the light, and to proclaim the way of peace. And I know that we're not John the Baptist, but we all do have a responsibility to tell others, to point others, to share with them about the Lord, to proclaim him. And I just ask you, what are you doing? How are you structuring your life to regularly point people to Jesus? What space have you intentionally created in your regular routine? We're not asking you to do something extra. We're just asking you to be Christians in your normal schedule. What are you doing? What kind of space are you making in your normal schedule to be intentional and deliberate about telling others about Jesus, the Prince of Peace? To invite them to know the forgiveness of sins that he, that he came to accomplish. Friends, he's still forgiving sin. He's still bringing light into the darkness. He's still making peace with his enemies. Friends, are we telling others about that? He does this primarily through the preaching and sharing of the gospel. It's a mercy that gives peace. Friends, Zechariah had so much to celebrate, so much to sing of, and so do we. The sunrise has dawned. Jesus is the light of the world and he has brought mercy to those living in darkness. A.W. Tozer once said, when through the blood of the everlasting covenant, we children of the shadows reach at our last home in the light, reach at last our home in the light. We shall have a thousand strings to our harps, but the sweetest may well be the one tuned to sound forth most perfectly the mercy of God. Friends, God is a God of mercy. It's a God, he's a God of mercy. He has demonstrated his mercy by sending his one and only son. And friends, there is so much to celebrate and there is so much still to proclaim to a, to a lost and dying world. Let's be faithful in both. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this encouragement through Zechariah and Elizabeth and John. Father, how you worked specifically and uniquely in this family so long ago to prepare the way of the Lord. Lord, we know that our salvation is not dependent upon John, but the one in whom he pointed, the one to whom he pointed, the one he would proclaim, this one to, that would come and visit and redeem his people the one who would be from the house of David, the one of whom the prophets of old spoke, the one who would come and give forgiveness of sins and make peace with you. Father, we thank you that John did come, just as you said. We thank you that John did preach. 
and indeed that he would prepare the way of the Lord. And we thank you that the Lord came and that the Lord Jesus lived and that he died and he was raised from the dead to complete the work of redemption we desperately needed. Lord, we live in a weary day, in a weary world, but we thank you that the light of hope, the light of mercy has dawned and shines brightly through Christ. We thank you for this, Lord, and all that you've done in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.